Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. So for the talk today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Pretty easy to find. Genesis chapter 37. Introductory thought. I think you can all get there pretty quickly. I would submit to you that we somehow know in our hearts there is a great value in protecting people who are in danger or about to experience something painful or traumatic. Amen? Like, like we kind of get that. Let me give you, and I think that's something that God has planted in us. I saw this uh, as early as four years old in my son. Here's a picture of what Isaac, some of you may have met Isaac. Here's my, there he was, that was a while ago. He was a cutie. Um, when he was just four years old, he was in a new context. He was in a classroom situation. It was at a church event. And in this children's ministry setting, they were go, trying to teach the children about obeying your parents and doing your chores. And so they did a little skit where one of the older kids was the example child, and like mom had said, now Billy, I want you to pick up your toys, and Billy was being a rebel. So he was like kicking his toys, and he was like, I don't and he was really hamming it up, like, I don't know, you know, and all this stuff. So anyway, some of the other kids in the classroom realized that Billy was hamming up his dramatic role, and so they were all started to laugh. Well, my son Isaac interpreted the laughter as they weren't laughing with him, they were laughing at him as a group of people. And at four years old, without prompting, my, my son stood up in this new context in the midst of his peers and older kids, and he said, you stop laughing at him. And what I think happened in there was his, you know, God-given protective instincts were like, wait a minute, this is going to be hurtful, and I'm going to do something. Does that make sense? Most of us, unless we're heartless, have a sense of protective instinct. The other day I was at a lake, and uh, there was a little outlet, a little spillway out into a creek, and it looked something like this, and there were like six or eight, there's a ton of little ducklings in there struggling in the midst of the stirring water. And a mom duck was swimming around the edge of it going quack, 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 quack. And the little babies were going cheep, 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 cheep. And and so what did I do? I just let them drown. No, not even me. I'm not even, you know, what do you do? You take off your shoes, you go down in the water and you, right? It's protective instinct. Arguably one of the good parts in us. Uh, By the way, protection is a godly trait. 1 Corinthians 13.4, a description of godly love. God's love and what he calls us to be. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It goes on in verse 4, I think. And it says, it always protects. 
2 Thessalonians 3.3, talking about God, says the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you. It's God's heart desire. Psalm 91 uh, is describing one of the benefits of being in the presence of God. And it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It talks about God and it says, he is my refuge and my fortress. Just a side note on this. Get, get and stay close to God, folks. Away from God is dangerous. So it says, he is my refuge and my fortress. And then it says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings. So it's this idea of like a mother hen, you know, doing this thing and say, get under here, chicks. I got you. Don't be messing with my kids. It's that thing. So hold those thoughts. We're a couple weeks into this series called Joseph facing the twists and turns of life. And we're learning from the life of Joseph, an Old Testament, important Old Testament character. And today's twist or turn is that Joseph is going to be in physical danger. Actually, his brothers are going to decide they want to kill him, which seems a little extreme. But one of his brothers, his name is Reuben, is the hero of the story. His protective instincts kick in, and he uh, protects Joseph from this danger. Uh, just a couple notes before we get more into the text. In case you don't, haven't thought about this, uh, if Reuben doesn't intervene in Joseph's life during this season, Joseph will never get to his God-given destiny. And Joseph is going to do some amazing things later in his life. He's going to be used by God to save hundreds of thousands of people. But if Reuben doesn't intervene now, that stuff doesn't happen. And I think practically for us, some of our lives are pretty good today because we had people in our life that protected us well. Others have traumatic things that have happened to us, struggles, and wouldn't it have been a lot better if somebody would have stepped up and protected us in the past, right? So this protection thing is a really big deal. So to set the scene in the story and the account, this is early in Joseph's life. He's probably in uh, his a late teens, 17, 18, 19 maybe. Joseph, again, as a reminder, is kind of the preferred baby of the family. He's the youngest. Because of that, his father really loves him and has made him kind of special. So he's given him, his father's made him this special coat. Joseph thinks he's kind of special because he's had special dreams. And all that is really irritating to his brothers. Uh, and in today's text, 11, his 11 brothers are out in the wilderness taking care of sheep. They're doing the work, and little special Joseph apparently gets to stay home and hang out 
with the family while the brothers are all out working for days and days. We'll talk about that a little more later. Uh, but Joseph does get an assignment. Go out, find your brothers, check on the sheep and your brothers. That's where we're at, and we'll pick it up in verse 17. Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. A cistern is a pit where rainwater can gather. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, hero of the story, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Let me fill in a few verses here. The brothers change their plans. They decide to throw him in this dry pit. Uh, and then a little twist, a little later in the day, I imagine them like having dinner or something, sitting around a campfire, and a caravan of slave traders, potential slave owners, goes past. And so one of the brothers gets the idea, hey, why let Joseph die in the pit? Let's sell him. Might as well make some money on this deal. So they sell their brother instead. Reuben is not part of that conversation. And, uh, but they sell their brother. And verse 29, Reuben then comes back into the scene. It says, Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and says, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And uh, Joseph now has been gone with the uh, caravan. It says, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. The father recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces, but he wasn't. Joseph's life does get difficult, but he goes on to fulfill God's destiny because Reuben intervened with protective measures, protective instincts. And so title of the talk this weekend is Protecting a Brother. Reuben saves Joseph's life, and I've got two characteristics of Reuben's protective instincts, all right? And I'm, my hope is these will remind us of things, maybe help us see something for the first time that we might do well at the next opportunity we have to be a protector of someone. So let's pray. God, I pray that over the next days, weeks, months, generations, there might be more life, health, sp spiritual vibrancy, 
financial success, that there would be a ripple effect because we would learn today or be reminded today the value and how to be good at protecting others that could be in danger. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas. Are you ready? Two ideas. Reuben's protective instincts. The first one is this. His protective instincts acted independently. Acted independently. Basically, he did this by himself, even though there was quite a bit of momentum from his brothers saying, let's kill him. In fact, if you do a little math, it was kind of 10 brothers to one Reuben, and Reuben, I just thought of a Reuben sandwich all of a sudden. Did anybody else? Oh, and one Reuben, I'm like, oh yeah, Reuben. So, sorry. One man named Reuben. <laughs> uh, the verses here, uh, here comes that dreamer. They, so there's a group of people, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, let's kill him. And then verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he, so it's one person deciding, I'm going to be different, and I'm going to work at protecting Joseph. Now, I do want to dwell just for a moment on this side idea that the brothers, that the brothers are going to kill their brother. Because when I thought, I thought, that's a little extreme. How many of you have had any sibling rivalry? How many of you are like, you thought, yeah, a little bit. How many of you killed your, your sibling? You probably shouldn't raise your hand even if you did. Right? I'm like, how did this get to let's kill him? And I thought some of the context here might help us understand how do you get there? Well... Uh, the 11 brothers, well, first of all, you got Joseph, right, being all special. But in this specific moment, they've been out in the wilderness taking care of sheep probably for weeks. So this is not glamping. This is camping with more response with the responsibility so this is wandering from place to place trying to find uh, grass this is no matter what the weather is you're out there this is well how did you sleep last night didn't this is rock just understand this is difficult days you got the you know wild animals trying to take your sheep and all that kind of stuff and i thought and maybe you've experienced this. Have you ever experienced camaraderie around misery? Where you're all in the same yucky boat, and then every once in a while you just get irritated that we're all out here suffering and blah, 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 blah. And I wonder if the brothers then every once in a while would say something like, I wonder what pretty boy Joseph's doing today. Because he's back at the house the whole time. And I wonder if that would percolate 
into that irritation, irritation. I'll bet he's drinking, I'll bet he's drinking iced tea on the veranda with dad. They're probably watching the game. We got no internet out here. Or I, they, did, they, they didn't have internet. But you know how that could just... And so then, in the midst of that, however many weeks into this, then here comes pretty boy Joseph, right, coming across the prairie. And he, and he looks maybe kind of like this. It's like Donny Osmond. Now, there's a, bunch, there's a bunch of young people are going, who the heck is he? But just let us old people revel in the reality. We know who that is. And he actually played Joseph in the amazing technical. And so you got Donny Osmond with his flowing, right, his perfect white teeth because he's had a shower. These guys haven't had a shower in forever. And he comes flowing over, you know, and, he, and says something, you know, he's just walking that way. And I, and I wonder if one of the brothers didn't say, man, I hate that guy. And another one say, I say we kill him. And another one says, I'm in. Me too. Let's do it. He's been a burr under our saddle. Is that a thing? I just made, yeah, he's been a, been a burr in my butt. He's been a burr. It's burr. A burr in your butt? That sounds horrible. Yes. Anyway. He's been an irritation forever. We're in the middle of nowhere. I know, right? And then 10 of the brothers say, I'm totally in. And then, but Reuben is different. And here's an idea. You can write it down. In the midst of destructive momentum, Reuben resisted. Yes. Reuben resisted. Another way to think about this, it's not a fill in the blank, but it'll come up on the screen. Instead of joining in the aggression, he leaned into protection. He decided to be different. And this brings up, I think, a relevant question for us here, 2022, in our present day. Here's a question. Do I generally join in an attack or be different and protect? That's a good question. I think we're living culturally in a day, a lot of people are gathering around frustration, aggression. I think of just politically how it feels like there are masses gathering around, not what are we for, maybe you disagree with this, but not what are we for, but gathering momentum around who do we hate. Is that right? It's, It's like the way it's working. And what I'm challenging us to think about is, are we willing to resist and be different from that cultural momentum push thing? It's awfully easy to join in the group of people, angry, aggressive. Um, 
Just so you know, some of the great moments recorded in Jesus' ministry was when there was momentum toward aggressive things and Jesus decided to be the protector in the moment. A couple of examples in Mark chapter 10. The people were bringing the little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And the disciples, group of disciples, rebuked the kids. What does Jesus do? When he saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Jesus intervenes, basically, and says, what are you doing rebuking the kids? He says, let the little children come to me. And then this next imagery, I'm probably stretching it a little bit, but it says that he took the children in his arms. So the disciples had been being mean, and he, but Jesus took them in his arms. And I picture him, you know, like saying, hey, kids, 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 come here. Come to Uncle Jesus. Now, he never said that. But he says, you, no, you guys come here. Look, you disciples, get out of here. I'm going to come here, you guys. Then he took them in, and then he laid hands on them and prayed for them. By the way, that was a cultural statement of value for those children. Jesus is cool. Another example, is it in Luke and John? John. John 8, a bunch of religious folks bring a woman who had been caught in sin. It says they made her, she had been caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women, which means they pick up the biggest rock you can find, throw them at her until she's dead. That's the momentum. You read the account, Jesus de-escalates the aggressive momentum masterfully. In the end, he agrees that what she was doing was sinful, but he also makes a pretty big statement that, that we should not take life away from her. He actually says, by the way, if we start killing everybody who's sinning, we're all, all dead. So he introduces grace emphasizes the value of that woman. Again, big cultural statement. Uh, to finish up this point, just a, a little question. Am I actively engaging in protective moments? Am I doing that stuff? I'm doing the th Even if nobody else is doing it, am I doing that? Think of your, you know, kids, friends, family. Are you willing to, even if nobody else steps in, be a, be a protector? Even if people, I'm thinking about going on a tangent. Okay, doing it. That means we'll have to probably get through the second point quickly. You may have to do this even though people don't understand. You'll just be a little more protective. Let me tell you a story, parents. I remember when our uh, daughter growing up, and we made some protective rules about whether our kids could spend the night at other people's houses. 
So you can do whatever you want. We just said, but they're not doing it until whatever age. So, so, so our daughter, third, fourth grade, and uh, hey, you know, their daughter was having an overnight birthday party, and we said, oh, sure, uh, Leah, can, Leah can go, but we'll pick her up at about at 10 o'clock because we're, we're not doing the overnight thing. And I could not believe the pressure that came from a parent to make, to try to coerce us to let it happen. Well, what do you mean she can't stay overnight? Everybody's staying overnight. Yeah, that's fine. But Leah's not. No, no, but we have plans. We're going to do this and this, and then at 10 o'clock, they're going to do a movie, and we've got this, and we, so, so that's why Leah can spend the night, and it was on the phone, and I'm like, yeah, no, sorry. I mean, we're not trying to screw up. She doesn't have to come. It's okay, but she's actually, if, if you want her to come and be there until 10 or 11, that's fine, but then we're going to pick her up. No, no, but, but wait. I could not believe, yeah, but see, later they're going to play Yahtzee, and there should have be six, six players, and if you take Leah, then we'll only have five players. I could not believe the pressure, and I, I remember that back then, and there's some watershed moments in life, and I remember thinking that this was in the back of my brain. didn't say it out loud. I won't say what I was thinking out loud. <laughs> but come on, parents. There are things that you have authority over your kids, over your people, over your friends, your neighbors, where you, other people will say, come on, it's not that big a deal. You be the protector, even if everybody else says, come on, just let it happen. So just think about that. Okay. Just think about it. So Reuben's protective measures protective instincts acted independently. Last point. He also worked extra. Worked extra. This is a really simple observation. It took a little bit of time and energy from Reuben's day to try to be a protector to Joseph. Verse 29, it says, Reuben returned to the cistern, to the pit. I'm guessing he had to take a walk, he had to separate from his brothers, he had to go back and find that pit, right, and then come back. And so, I don't know how long it took, but it took some time. It'll walk through the wilderness, find the pit, and all that kind of thing. And I just, just so you know, is it's the same for us when we decide to be a protector or be protective of things. It'll cost us some energy and some time. You can write this down. Reuben didn't just have a heart to protect, but he used some energy in the process. That's just the reality of counting the cost of intervening for other people. Old story. There's an old story. This is, from, this was back, I don't know, it was probably like back in, you know, the 1900s, way back then. Uh, we were just planting the church uh, so I was working three or four days a week, two or three or four days a week, driving a delivery truck up to Chicago. Uh, and then we were planting the church, starting the vineyard, the church. Um, one day, so typically Thursday would be a long delivery day, 12, 14 hours, because you had to drive up, deliver, and back. And sometimes I wouldn't get my route done, and so then I would 
stay in a hotel, get up the next morning, and finish my route. It was one of those days, so it would have been a Friday afternoon, and I was coming from way north Chicago back home. And there are bridges, some of you, you've been to Chicago, I figure most of us, where it's either the Skyway Bridge or there's these other bridges that go over the waterways there. And so how many of you can picture, you know, one of the waterway bridges? In, okay, so anyway, it looks something like that. So I'm driving this truck, and it's a long bridge. I don't remember which one it was. I remember which one it wasn't, but... And uh, I get to almost to the top, the peak of this bridge, and there's a woman walking along this side of the road. There's no sidewalks. Like, so you notice, because you're like, what are you doing? This is not where you're supposed to take a walk, lady. So I, as I get close, she stops she throws one leg over the guardrail, the other leg over the guardrail. As I pass, I look to my rearview mirror, and she's gone. Yeah, that's what I felt. I'm like, what just happened here? I go over. Have you ever had a speedy conversation with God? You know how fast our minds can work. So I'm going down the hill. What do I do? Where do I get that? And I had a conversation with God. Part of it was, oh, my. What can I do to help? I need to go back there. <laughs> the other part was, you got to be kidding me, God. Do I, can I, did I have to see that? Couldn't I just go home? I, so, sorry, I guess you guys are all more compassionate than me. But I did have like 20% of, I just worked 14 hours yesterday, and now we're going to go check on the lady. And of course, God said, yeah, that's what we're going to do. I was like, okay, we'll do that. Because you couldn't just pull off the truck there because it's of the way it was. So I had to drive all the way down and find a spot. So I pulled off. I get out of the truck, and I'm, you know, jogging back uh, to this area. And I'm looking off to the side. I'm making this story too long. I get there where I think, oh, she would. And I lean over to the side, and there sitting down on a steel beam this wide is, I think I remember her name was Carol. She's sitting, legs are hanging off the edge, and, and I'm overlooking. I was a little afraid to say anything, because I didn't want to startle her and have her fall. <laughs> That'd be bad, right? You know, to yell and then, ah, oh, that would be bad. So I still remember exactly what I said to her as I leaned over. <laughs> it wasn't really brilliant. Hello? <laughs> And she, she, she just like did this and did the, where, where did you come from? Oh, anyway, and so just, I'll, I'll shorten the story, but for the next 30 minutes, this was my life. I would talk to Carol, ask her questions, say things that I thought would, you know, I said, so I'm guessing life is really hard right now. She was like, yeah. And so we'd talk for a little bit, and then I would move back from the rail, and I would wave my arms like a crazy monkey and point off the side trying to get any person driving by at 60 miles an hour to stop. I just kept, hi, are you okay? Don't jump. You might want to think, think through this decision. Life's hard. What? God, you guys, there's a thing over. And I did this for 30. By the way, this is, some of you are like, why didn't you pick up your cell phone? We didn't have cell phones in 1900. Okay. So, and eventually, God bless a guy 
stopped in a tow truck, and he had a CB. Some of you don't know what that is. But <laughs> and then within 40 minutes, I would say, a police officer came. We ended up talking, and, and Carol came back over the side and got in the police car. So it was a wonderful thing. I remember, to, I'm going to add a little more. We're going over. I remember vividly, she was in the back of the police car. Window was cracked. I said, asked the officer, can I talk to her for just a minute? And I told Carol, I said, Carol, you need to know God intervened in your life today. And I told her, and this is true, I never have never taken this route home ever. I always used the Skyway. And I'm not making, I all, because the Skyway was always faster, and I have no idea, but on this day, I ended up, I don't even know which road it was, I took a different route, and I told her, God intervened in your life today. And she was appreciative, and, and I don't know how the story went on from there. But I share the story. One, it will take energy to intervene in other people's lives. And two, I'm, just, I'm going to finish with a word of encouragement to you. Why would we do those things? Because people are worth it. Right? People are worth it. And so I'll finish with those of you that are using your time and energy to care about other people, protecting other people, they're worth it. Keep doing it. I know sometimes it can be tiresome. Parents, keep doing the work of parenting. Prayers. Some of you are praying protection around people. I know some of us are giving our uh, time and energy to try to intervene for the sake of the unborn. Thank you for doing that. It matters. Those of you that have friends and and when your friend starts to make a dangerous uh, decision, you try to do something to help them. Let's keep doing it because it matters, even though there are times that it will take energy and there will be a sacrifice. Last scripture, John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what Jesus did. Last fill in the blank. Let's not be too busy, selfish, or tired to help someone. Just to recap, Reuben acted independently and worked extra. Why don't you stand? We'll move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.